teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew in chapter 5 and verse 38. It's one of the hard sayings of Jesus. Listen to it. He said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. If anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse one who would borrow from you. Uh, Okay, these are hard sayings. If this was the first time you ever read that and you didn't know who was speaking or the first time you heard it, and you didn't know who was speaking, you might go, are you kidding me right now? Because if somebody slaps me in the face, I might just have to slap them back. That wouldn't be me, but I would call 911 right away. (laughs) I'd say, I want some dudes coming here with a uniform and a gun. You know, I pay my taxes, and uh, I want somebody to show up with a taser and hurt that boy, right? You ever have trouble with the commands of Jesus? Careful now. They're hard sayings. <laughs> they really are. Uh, Dennis uh, uh, Conant is one of our elders. And we were having a, we have a Saturday morning prayer meeting. And, I'm, and he's an attorney, and I do not have permission to tell this, so I'm really running a great risk right now. But, but uh, no, he, 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 uh, he was, we were on our Saturday morning prayer meeting, and here, here's a story that he told. He said, once there was a Quaker man, a Quaker farmer, and Quakers are pacifists, right? Quaker farmer is milking his cow. The cow is kicking over the bucket repeatedly. The Quaker farmer says, thou knowest that I will not harm thee, but if thou kickest over the bucket one more time, I will sell thee to the Baptist. <laughs> Most Baptists aren't pacifist you should probably know my son kyle milked cows for a long time and he told me this story he said he had one belligerent cow that just kept kicking him and he had a cow prod it's kind of like a taser for cows and he would prod this cow whenever the cow would kick him he would prod this cow he said one day he was just kicking him and he was prodding him and the cow fell over and died you're laughing that means you're not quakers you're baptist i i imagine cow falls over and dies and you had to get rid of that cow you ever feel like taking a cow prod to your enemy you ever have anybody in your life that's just really a problem and you'd like to tase them (laughs) yeah i yeah you're all real quiet i had a friend his name his name was bobby yoder he was an amish guy and and it was a wonderful this guy really knew the lord he's a believer and and he was an amish man and and you know the amish folk are also non-resistant they're pacifists and and I would drive him, you know, he would pay me to drive him places, and I would drive him, and, and when I would drive him, I would sometimes ask him, you know, Bobby, how do you work your way around, like, Romans 13, where it says that, the, you know, that the police, or the peace officer is a minister of God for, you know, righteousness, and he bears not the sword in vain, or the fact that Jesus sent soldiers back into their duty and didn't tell them to repent of being a soldier and bobby would and i would have a talk about that you know and he would explain why he was a pacifist and i would explain why i was not quite a pacifist and uh one day and he would give me we would uh, they they, uh, had a dairy operation so they would give us milk 
that would give our family milk whenever we wanted it as a, as a kindness to us. So I would go over to his milk house and he would give us a big, big jug of milk. And one day I was walking out to his milk house with him and, and I got over by the side of the barn and all of a sudden this big dog lunged at me. It was a big mangy, scary looking dog with sharp teeth on the end of a rope. And he, Bobby goes, look out, that dog will bite you. And I said, if I was a pacifist, that's exactly the kind of dog I would have. A dog. So, I'm not here to give you a workaround on the teaching of Jesus. But what I would like to do is, like I told you my mother did last week, I told you my mother read the teaching of Jesus to me, the hard saying of Jesus, and she looked me in the eye and she didn't smile. She just let the teachings of Jesus have their weight. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said by those of old time, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I'm telling you, if somebody slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek. Hard saying of Jesus. Let's review, because we're at point number six and point number seven today, and if you haven't been here for this series, that might kind of wig you out, okay? So let's review. Let's take a look at what we've done in the past, and I know that all of you that missed this are going to want to scurry back online and watch those wonderful talks. All right, but here they are. First of all, what is it Jesus people like, all right? Jesus people do good works to glorify God. Jesus people, this is in the similitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. You are the, and the, remember, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world, salt of the earth, the light of the world. Jesus people, what are they like? They do good works. Then they love the law, but, and they teach the law, but they reject distortions of the law, and there are many distortions of the law. Real Jesus people do good works to glorify God. Real Jesus people, they love the law of God. A way of saying that would be they're people of the book. They're under the authority of the book. They study the book in a larger way, the law of God, but they reject distortions of the book, adding to and taking away, they reject legalism. And then, Jesus' people are kind and forgiving. At this point, the passage goes into those six comparisons, four of which we covered last week, the last two that we'll cover today. Unless we run out of time, as a personal policy, I never go over time on Mother's Day. And so, Jesus' people are kind of forgiving in their conduct and in their speech. And Jesus' people also, number four, are pure and they're faithful and they're true to their mates. And this is a review of, of, the, of the material that we had. Now today, number six, Jesus' people don't retaliate against their enemies, but they go the second mile. And it's something more than that. Jesus, the, the, the passage Jesus uses from the law, and it's throughout the Old Testament law, this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is often seen as if somebody pokes your eye out, you get to poke their eye out. Somebody knocks your tooth out, you get to knock their tooth out. That's probably not the primary meaning of that. It was a limitation on retribution. It was giving to government and civil authority the right of retribution, but it was limiting the retribution to be equal with the crime. And this goes way back into legal codes, way, way back into history. 
in legal codes, this was, a, this was a contribution of Judaism, of God, really, and the people into culture was that you can't retaliate the law. A just civil government is not going to allow you to retaliate beyond, in other words, if somebody accidentally knocks your tooth out, you can't kill them for it. And so it probably should be understood, even in a right teaching of the law, that this was primarily a, limit, primarily a limitation on retribution does that make sense what jesus let's talk about here just a little bit about what jesus does not mean and then we will talk about what jesus what we believe that jesus said jesus did not mean that you could never flee to defend yourself how do we know that early in his life his family fled in his own life in his own hometown they were going to toss him off the cliff i've been there it's a high cliff you would not survive that and he fled so Jesus is not saying that you can never flee. He's not saying that because he himself did sometimes exercise the option of flight. So if you're an abused wife, you have the option of flight. You don't have to stay there and be abused. You can flee. You should flee. Um, this is an example. Jesus sent soldiers back to work after they were converted. He didn't say, now that you're a Christian, you can't be a soldier anymore. But he sent soldiers back to work. So it does not mean that there's never a just war, even though, you know, Christians over time have often tried to kind of noodle around and figure out, like, is there such a thing as just war, and when is war just, and all that. But talk to soldiers. Talk to people that have been involved in warfare. They're generally not quite as gung-ho as maybe the rest of us. There's a sobriety about them, if they have any maturity at all. You don't take a person's life you you may have you may feel that you have the civil authority to to you know exercise capital punishment nobody who's thoughtful would do that without grave thought and without that changing your life forever it's a very very serious thing conversation that christians have but jesus was so understand jesus exercised his right to flee so when he said turn the other cheek he didn't mean that you could never flee because he himself sometimes fled it was wise to flee sometimes he didn't mean that you can't be a soldier because he sent soldiers back to work he didn't mean that it was wrong to be a peace a peacekeeper bearing arms because we know that the apostle paul taught very clearly in our passage that we'll look at a little bit later in romans 13 that that a, that a peace officer a police officer is a minister of god and he bears not the sword in vain, right? So he didn't mean that. There are four things in this passage. We'll see them in a minute. But one of the things was like when somebody asked to borrow or ask something from you, he says, give them. He didn't mean that you always give away everything that you have because he didn't do that. Though he was giving and though he was very generous, he was capable of making all the poor people not poor anymore. But when he died and was buried and rose again, he ascended back into heaven without completely abolishing poverty. So we know there were people he could have given to that he chose not to give to. He's not saying that you can't exercise discernment in your giving and that anybody just kind of pulls this out and says, you're a Christian, you have to give me what I ask for. That's really not what he was saying. So now I've told you what I don't think he was saying. Let's talk a little bit about what I believe he was saying. What, what, is he, what is the point of this? What does it mean if that's what it doesn't mean? It means, it's, just, it, it's helpful to me to think about this as a reference to personal retaliation. So we, we're not thinking about this so much as 
the authority of civil government. We're not talking about this so much as what your, what your legal rights really are and your legal uh, defense really is and, and the things that are in place to defend you. It's, it's talking about personal retaliation. Even you understand this, right? Even if I were to say, if somebody were to walk up to me and they were to, let's just say it's verbal and it's not physical, and then they say something mean to me, say something unkind, my natural response, you know, I'm kind of wordy, you may have noticed, and so I can always think of things to say, most of which you probably shouldn't ever say. But I smile inside thinking, I could say this zinger, or I could say that zinger, or I could really straighten them out over here, or I could like use sarcasm or some kind of humor. On a good day when I'm yielded to the Holy Spirit, I might just receive that and not retaliate, and that would be disarming, and this is the Jesus way. Let me explain to you with a little story from my childhood. My dad, when I was a boy, always had me give out pamphlets that had the gospel in them, tr gospel tracts, they're called, and it was big on it. He still is, and he would always give me bunches of gospel tracts. He, he would take me to the hospital. When he was hospital calling, he would have me stock, make these little milk cartons and put gospel tracks in the milk cartons for when people came to the lobby of the hospital they could get these little pamphlets but my favorites were the ones that were little comic books there's a guy named chick that did them the guy's a little squirrely now but anyway at the time he had these little uh comic books and they were pretty engaging you know the little, little comic book gospels my favorite was one called holy joe and holy joe was the story of a gi that got saved and when he got saved, he stopped going out and getting drunk with his buddies. And when he got saved, he stopped womanizing with his buddies. When he got saved, he started reading his Bible on his bunk, and he started kneeling down and praying at the end of his bunk. And this is all in the little story, right? Well, one night, all of his buddies were out drinking and womanizing. When they came in, he was kneeling by his bunk. And so they took off their combat boots and so forth and just threw them over, and, and they hit him. They're all drunk and carrying on, and, and they hit him with this big pile of boots. Now here's the part that I found interesting as a little boy when I read this. In the morning, Holy Joe, they called him, had shined all their boots and put them back at the end of their bunks. Here's the thing. When I was a little boy, I read that over and over again, and something about that just stirred my heart. And I just thought as a little boy, that's neat. See, that's the Jesus way. When you hear about somebody not retaliating, when somebody demands something of them, they're kind and they go, they go beyond what's required, even the second mile. When, they, when somebody asks them for something and they give them something more, when they demand something and, they, and they, they say, I want to borrow from you, and they go, look, take this. How many of you have seen this? How many of you have done this? You say, this is not a loan, man. You ever hear this one? I like it. This is a Jesus-y thing. Pay it forward. You ever hear that? This is going to be a long message. It's Mother's Day. I only have so much time to work with. Come on. You've heard this, right? Like nod or wiggle or, or make a funny face. Have you heard of pay it forward? Yeah. Yes. Thank you. All right. Sorry, sorry. I love you. I like you. I like everything about you. I'm not unhappy with you. I'm just kidding. All right. So, but, but like, so we say, this is a Jesus thing. We go, you know, if you throw a boot at me, I can throw a boot back or I can sue you or, you know, or I can verbally take you apart or I could shine your boot and that could kind of make you think that's the jesus way that's why they, that's why he's been loved for so many years whoever thought of that it's the jesus way now what's really interesting is 
We better take a look at Romans 13 before we go on because some of you may still think I'm unconvinced. Take your Bible, if you are quick, and, and turn to Romans 13. In Romans 13, you have a passage that you must read in order to balance your understanding of this non-resistance thing. It, moves, it, it makes it very clear that non-resistance, if you will, or not retaliating, it, that what Jesus was teaching is you don't, that, that you have the option of not demanding a tooth for a tooth but demanding something less, or perhaps nothing at all. And that's the Jesus way, is to not retaliate. And he's going to give those four examples. But, but he doesn't take away from civil government its responsibility to keep the peace and to curtail really bad people. I mean, just think about that. Should we allow bad people to hurt little children? Well, of course not. There should be people who are trained to restrain evil. Amen? And by the way, if you're here today and you're one of those men or women, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. You know, I'm not one of those guys. But like I said, I got the 911. So, I, you know, I got a shotgun. I'm just telling you right now, I got a shotgun. But I don't have shells yet. Maybe by tonight I will, so don't be fooling with me, you know. <laughs> but I got a shotgun. I don't have shells. I'm like, well, I wonder how long it would take the guys to get here. You know, the guys that are trained to deal with bad people. I'm a pastor. I'm not that good at that. So anyway, but so to see this, though, we know that Romans 13 talks about that minister, right? But notice this. It's kind of interesting. There's, a, there's an unfortunate chapter break in there that obscures a deeper truth. Back into chapter 12, you will see that Romans 13 is talking about both a curtailment of personal retaliation and a dependence on civil government to do what they're supposed to do. Verse 14 of chapter 12, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. That's straight out of the teaching of Jesus. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another and don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Now, now look at verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves Never avenge your vengeance. What, what, what do you hear when I say vengeance? It sounds like this. Vengeance is my, right. Vengeance is the just prerogative of God. It's one of the things that makes him good. Right? Punishment goes on all evil. It either falls on the sinner or it falls on his son, our Savior. Say amen right there, Right? Either the sinner suffers or Jesus suffers for the sinner, but there is justice for every sin. And so he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Jesus is going to allow that job to go undone. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you'll heap coals of burning coals on his head that sounds like a bad thing but in the first century idiom that's actually a good thing do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good and so jesus really does what he does is he gives us four examples in this section from chapter 38 to 42 he gives four examples and you're going to see them here you, you we read them let's look at them again he says turn the other cheek if somebody slaps you on one side he says if somebody asks for your coat give your tunic it's a little bit like in the old testament law you could you could take a person's uh, like shirt but you couldn't take their coat overnight because it might expose them to death and he's saying here if they ask for your shirt give them your coat too and and if they ask you if they can demand that you go one mile 
go the second mile. I heard a teacher one time say this, and it was profound. He said this, if you had a Roman soldier, and they had the legal right to do this, to just pick somebody and say, you. Do you remember when Jesus is carrying his cross, and he's falling, the Roman soldiers say, you, to this man, carry his cross. And then he has to carry the cross of Jesus. A Roman soldier could pick a little boy going home for supper. They could say, hey, you, kid, carry my stuff. The kid has to carry his stuff, but only one mile. What if at the end of the one mile, the kid is two miles out of his way now. He's got to go a mile to get back where he was, unless he was going in that direction, right? What if at the end of the mile, the kid says to him, let me carry this one more mile. There's something I want to talk to you about. What if in the first mile, the kid says, there's something I want to talk to you about, and he tells him about Jesus? What if in the second mile, the kid says, there's something I want to tell you about, and he tells him about Jesus? Would not the testimony in the second mile be much more powerful than the testimony in the first mile? Because you've done a little, about if, if you're in business, uh, what, you know this, right? A little good idea, a good idea just in business is this Jesus thing, and that is go above and beyond a little bit. Do a little something more. If you fix the guy's car, vacuum it out. You know, do something just a little bit more. This is a Jesus thing. And this is one of the things he said, go the second mile. And then the, he implies too, they, they said, somebody ask you, give it to them. And then a little bit later he says, if you ask to borrow, give. Here's one of the Jesus things you can do. Somebody hits you, you just don't retaliate. Your wife says something unkind to you. I'm sorry, it's Mother's Day. Your husband says something unkind to you. And you are thinking of, because you're smarter than him, you can think of 17 things to say about his mother, about his big waist, anything. But you don't, because you're a Jesus person. And then, is he more likely to go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But if you shoot back, he's like thinking of another thing to say. I mean, I've seen people do this. Um, give your coat. Here's that. Oh, and here's this. Second mile. I go a mile. I go another mile. What about if you were to live that way? It'd be like when I was a kid reading Holy Joe. People would go, huh. Huh. That, that's neat. That's different. That's a neat way to live. That's what Jesus people do. That's what they're like. They don't just automatically demand the full payment of the law. They often, James, you opened the service so beautifully today. Thank you so much for that. I've heard so many things about your mom and her influence in this church. And that piece about grace, say that again. Grace before, grace before judgment. That's sweet. I see that in this church. Like, okay, there's judgment, there's grace, but grace first, okay? Can we be that kind of people? Is that the kind of church you want to be in? That's the kind of church I want to be in. Well, let's try to understand that before we judge it. Let's be graceful. Let's give before we, you know, man, that's, that's beautiful. That's what we're talking about here. And there it is. Now, notice it as I just read it again out of the text. You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs for you and don't refuse the one who would borrow now this is a this is just a a, a beautiful way to live but there's an and this is just kind of like an over the top above and beyond kind of living 
There's another way to say this. This is what Jesus says in the next section. He says it this way. Love your enemies. And that brings us to what I'm calling number seven. Jesus' people. Like, we've heard this a lot, but like, what? Love your enemies? That sounds really easy until you have a real enemy that keeps hurting you. Then this is an everyday Am I going to follow Jesus or not thing? And then you're, to make it worse, what if they hurt somebody you love every day? Then it's almost like, okay, who's serious about following Jesus now? I don't know if, what you're like, but I told Jesus I wanted to follow him kind of back before I knew how hard it was going to be. Every once in a while I'm going... Are you kidding me? Everything in me doesn't want to do that right now. And then you go, but to disobey that would mean I'd have to walk away from you, and I'm never going to walk away from you. I'm never going to be not a Jesus person. There's never going to be anybody that can be my enemy that I'm not going to obey Jesus about. And sometimes that's going to take me through the dark night of the soul. Jesus put that so beautifully. This is, this is uh, the heart of the teaching of Jesus. It's also found in a beautiful way other places, like in the Gospel of Luke. But here, from verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I mean, who doesn't do that? If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. If you're not nice to me, I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> it's like, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, in, the, in, in some versions of Luke, depending on the textual, uh, 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 the text of the Bible that you, you're looking at, in, uh, in some versions, and you'll see this in the book of Luke, there, that when Jesus would commonly teach this, there would be three things. And, and they kind of go like this. If someone says something bad to you, you do what? You bless them. You say something good to or about them. If someone does something evil to you, you do something good for them, like the apple pie, right? But if somebody continually persecutes you and doesn't let up, if you're a Jesus person, you need to put them on your prayer list and you need to pray the highest for their highest good. You need to pray that they will repent of their sin and that while you're kneeling there at the cross every day, receiving his mercy every day, you find movement over there to your right, and there they are, that person who hurt you every day, your prayer was answered, there they are now kneeling at the cross beside you asking for mercy, and then you put your arm around them and say, I prayed for this every day, I'm glad you're here. I may shock you, but I, J Jesus teaches in the most unequivocal terms that you must forgive your enemies. But we were not forgiven until we confessed our sin. But his disposition of love and forgiveness was there for us. I'm, I'm telling you this to help you. Some of you have been hurt in horrible ways that you can't even talk about publicly. And then some pastor comes along and glibly says, you need to forgive your enemies. 
if somebody hurt your little girl in a terrible way, I'm sorry to use such an example, you just go, I forgive you, even if they don't ask forgiveness? Is Jesus demanding that? The answer is no. No. What Jesus says, if you have to love them genuinely, have a disposition of forgiveness or an eagerness to forgive them, sometimes that's called forgiving, but they're not forgiven and restored to relationship, right? Until they acknowledge their sin. Any more than you were forgiven until you acknowledged your sin. I'm trying to help you. You've been deeply hurt. You say, okay, this person has deeply hurt me, and it is egregious sin against God and against others. Maybe not just me, but others. They are not forgiven by God yet. They haven't asked forgiveness. God is prepared to forgive them, but they're not forgiven, are they? They are going to go to hell and pay for their sin, or their sin is going to go on Jesus, and he's going to pay for their sin. There are no other options. And so what you say is, God, this is what's required of us as Jesus followers. I will pray that he will repent. He will be forgiven. He will be my brother. She will be my sister in Christ. This is what we pray towards. We have a love for them, continual prayer for them, disposition of desire for their good, and, and, and yet they aren't forgiven. They are not forgiven until they acknowledge their sin. They aren't restored until they acknowledge their sin. To me, I found that to be very, very helpful when I think about this matter of forgiveness. And so this is what you do with an enemy. You bless them when they curse you. You do good when they do evil to you. You pray for them when they continually persecute you. Now, doesn't that look easy? Doesn't it look simple? I mean, doesn't it look simple? But here's what I find when I talk with people. I go back here, and, I, and here's, how, here's how it works. It, it, and, and this is a little bit mean, but this is what I do. Right? I say to them, are you a Jesus follower? I say it like really light, like it doesn't, you know, are you a Jesus follower? And then they go, yeah. Then I go, turning up the heat on them. I go, so if Jesus were to walk in the room today and tell you something to do, would you do it? And they go, yeah. <laughs> and then I say, so if I could show you where Jesus told you what to do, would you do it? And then they go, yeah. Because they know they're getting, you know, pastor bamboozled. Um, they're like, okay. And then like, take your Bible out. And I want you to look up Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44. Now I want to know, will you do what Jesus said? Like, are you really a Jesus follower? Or do you just think that sounds good? When you have an enemy, will you bless them, do good for them, and pray for them while they persecute you and the people that you love? This is where we're going to find out who the real Jesus followers are. But here's the good news. When you obey the Lord, grace pours into you to give you grace, and he works miraculously upon your behalf because he doesn't just let you do all the heavy lifting. You know, he's with you. And that's why it says when you do this, you can expect some cool things to happen and notice what they are. These are the things that you can expect to happen. I'm going to read it first, and we'll look at a little slide. So that, when you do this, you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, this is like, so notice this. What do you love over the top? When you're above and beyond love, when you love your enemies, notice some things that, first of all, you bear a family resemblance to your father. People go, hmm, that's, I see God in him now. Verse 45, he says that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. 
He makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Notice the next one. And, And then he says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? What's implied there? What's implied is this. Notice the next thing. It's like, you'll be rewarded. Okay, now wait a minute, wait a minute. I have an enemy. I say to God, I have an enemy. That's it. God says, I know. I say to God, but he's being really mean to me and my kids. He's being bad to my kids. And I'm like, shall I get a posse? Shall I go, you know, shall I go straighten him out? He's like, why don't you let me work on that with you? Like, you pray for him. Okay. Then I say to God, I don't want to do that. He says, what if I reward you? I'm like, what will my reward be? He goes, I'll show you later. You don't know now. I'm like, can I just, can you just tell me? No. It'll be a surprise. But I'm God, and my surprises are really good. So I go, okay. So every time I pray for my enemy, I go, there's a center reward in heaven. That's kind of, here's another one. That's in verse 46. The people know you're not a user. <laughs> so, so look, look what it says in verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. Uh, tax collectors in the Bible were bad. N- not so today. They're, they're good folks. But, uh, but in the Bible, tax collectors, tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Even Gentiles do that. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I want you to look like the Father. I want to reward you for what you're doing. And I want people to know you really love them. Everybody's using you, right? Everybody's using you. Why are you being nice to me? What are you trying to sell me? What are you trying to get from me? How are you working? I mean, is that you go out in the world and everybody out there is working the angles to get in your pocketbook or to take advantage of you. And how many times do you think, do you really, who in the world really loves me? Who in the world really loves, how many of you go to bed at night and you think, who in the world really does care about me with an unselfish love and the list is short am i right so jesus is saying when we do this jesus thing which is so counterintuitive and so hard when you put away the cattle prod and you know and you don't just like zap your enemy but you do these things then you convince people that you're not a user that you're not working them for something but that you're sincere and that you really care about them. Kind of interesting. And then there's, uh, there's something more there that says in verse 48, be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. The idea there is there are levels of maturity that we can grow to. And this, there, there are communicable attributes of God that we can become like God in a progressive growth. There's a point of maturity, not, not absolute moral perfection, but maturity we should all be acknowledging our level of maturity and going to the next level of maturity. So the question that just rings in our heart when we look at this is, how many of you would agree being a Jesus people is beautiful? You'd love to be surrounded by Jesus people. How many of you would agree with that? Well, yeah. But how many of us are Jesus people when it gets really hard? Well, that's a smaller group. There was a man many, many years ago, an Anabaptist, His conviction about baptism was that a person gets baptized after they believe in Christ. But the state government included a church that demanded a different kind, and so he was persecuted. He was actually imprisoned because he had a conviction about this. 
and he had an opportunity to escape. His name was Dirk Willems. You read about a story in a book called The Martyr's Mirror. And Dirk Willems, when he had the opportunity to escape, he escaped. But he was a sincere Jesus follower, and he took the passage that we taught today as a, he understood it as a requirement to be non-resistant, a pacifist. That was his conviction. He's fleeing now his pursuer over the ice on a winter day, and he hears a noise behind him, and he realizes that the man that's pursuing him to kill him has fallen through the ice, and he's floundering in the icy water, and he stops as a Jesus follower, and he goes back, and he rescues him out of the water, and then the man takes him into custody, custody, takes him back, and Dirk Willems in the 1500s was burned at the stake after rescuing his own executioner. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I don't believe that way. Like, well, maybe not. But how serious are you about, G- about B- being Jesus' people? If you're like I am, here's how it goes. Lord, I'm going to need some help on this one. And he says, I'll help you. Here's what I'd like to do today. We're going to have folks that pray. They're going to come during our song. They're going to stand in front. In case you want to come and have somebody pray with you about a need. We're going to stand in a moment. We're going to sing a song. And the song is a prayer. It's like saying, Lord, I'm, I'm going to need you right now. <laughs> I need you. And, and let's, uh, let's pray now. And then we'll sing that song. And we'll just express to the Lord, Lord, I need you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for teaching this beautiful teaching that has just stirred and thrilled and challenged and and, uh, confronted the hearts of people and changed the world. Let it change our world. Let it change our lives. Give us, Lord, we we need you. We we need your help. And we pray that you would help us to, to really be Jesus' people. And Lord, I pray that in our lives, the ladies in our lives, in particular the moms and the ladies in our lives, they would benefit from us being Jesus' people, that they would feel the honor, that they would feel around you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.